Hi, Ruth. How are you doing? I am doing very well, and I'm really tired. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's just because, you know, I'm getting towards, you know, the last part of the project, putting it together. And so I, it's just been a lot of hours and not a lot of rest in between. That's the tired. It's a good tired. That's good. So tell us about the book coming out, Female Erasure, and why that title and why now? Well, coming up with the title for this project really was an evolution. Originally, I think I had it as Beyond Gender. Um, that was one that I went with for quite a while, and there was a subtitle to that that honestly I can't remember at this point. But I I came to feeling that we, I should just name it. Uh, name what is what has been happening around basically trans ideology and female in opposition to female embodiment and how that impacts women and as it impacts children especially with the huge industry that is now developed to uh, quote unquote support parents concerned about their children not fitting into uh, blue and pink boxes and so I felt that female erasure was dramatic and dramatic because that's what's happening. It's dramatic. And the why now is because um, because it's, it's what's happening now. Um, every day, uh, clearly for listeners who are paying attention, there are laws being enacted, there are changes in policies around the naming of female realities and the dismissing of female realities. and where basically biology and sex, um, sex oppression is being relegated to the trash can. So that's a more candid way of saying it. I say it much more eloquently in, in the introduction and in other you know, printed uh, interviews, but I became very concerned because it's affecting me personally, it's affecting every, every person that I know, and people were afraid to talk about it. I'm, I'm really actually excited to, uh, to read about it because when I first saw the project coming in front of my view, I, I really felt compelled to, to share it. Um, I was really excited to see who was uh, contributing and what the, the topics people were going to be writing on was. I mean, I think, I think this is going to be something very important that people need to pay attention to. And so when I found that I'd be speaking to you, I was, um, I was especially excited for that too. How many women wrote for the book and how did you find them all? I think there's about 47 women who are writing for this project. And that, that, what that entails, for a few of them, it's a, it might be a piece of poetry, although there's less of, of poetry than, say, other essays. And I found them through, gosh, I would say uh, personal contacts and this person knows this person or I'm looking for someone who can write about this topic. Do you know anyone? Very grassroots, very, really thought of it is that there's this web that's being woven and between communities that are concerned about the issue. And so I, I paid attention to blogs as well. So there were there were definitely women that I contacted because, wow, that was a really good piece. I won't if she'll let me republish it. And so um, that's how that happened. And, and then there were, there were definitely women that had published, for example, Sheila Jeffries. Um, and I would not have originally thought that I could get a hold of her, for example, to be a contributor. And, um, and I was able to, to do that because of 
contacts, you know, women who knew women and were willing to help me make a connection. I'm very thankful for that because I think that the project would not have been as powerful if it had been I was in my insular world, which is not my tendency anyway, but I really wanted to reach out and make uh, wider connections. Can you give us an example of what some of the topics covered are, uh, different pieces in the book, what they discuss? Sure, absolutely. I have, well, I have six sections actually for the book, and I'm in the process of actually doing chapters. I have, at this point, I have about 45 or 46 chapters, and the, and the sections, like one of the sections is called Biological Erasure by Gender Ideology. And in that section, I really wanted to have pieces that were talking about that, that topic, biological erasure, and how that is showing up currently. And so I have a number of writers. I mean, do you want, shall I name some of them? Oh, sure. Go, go for it. Okay. Well, I actually, I wanted to open with a piece written by Monica Shu and Barbara Moore. And these are two women who have passed. They passed in a few years back. And I actually am paying for the rights to republish this piece. But that was the opening chapter for a very powerful book called The Great Cosmic Mother. And that was from the late 1980s. But the topic was the first sex. In the beginning, we were all created female. And it's a very powerful piece to open, really open the project because it talks about physicality and sacred physicality as well. And um, how the body became basically other even from ourselves, a disconnect between mind and body. And there is a historical precedence for this. And I wanted to show that by starting with this chapter that what is happening currently, in, from my point of view, is that the erasure and silencing of women with this whole gender identity ideology is simply a continuation. Not This is nothing new how I understand it. It has actually been going on for thousands of years from when patriarchy began enacting itself in ancient culture and religion. And that's my background. So I'm also a student of folklore and I'm also involved with women's spirituality and feminist spirituality to narrow it a little bit more. And so I wanted to start about, I wanted to talk about the issue in terms of a context of a and the context being a continuum of female erasure and silencing that can be traced from ancient times. And so when I look at it from this perspective, it makes perfect sense to me that it would be enacting itself in this way, but I did not expect it to enact itself the way it's come down. This, this kind of was like a huge sideswipe, but I wanted to honor these foremothers and women's spirituality by starting the chapters with theirs, but also to set that context for from ancient times and then where we are going from here. So I take that leap then from that first chapter on the in the from the first sex in the beginning we were all created female to a fantastic piece written by Rachel Ivy. It's called The End of Gender Revolution Not Reform. And it goes on from there with uh, Kathy Scarborough and Elizabeth Hungerford and 
Sheila Jeffries and wonderful, wonderful women who are in the educational system and or in the medical and mental health field. And that's all under this, this first uh, chapter on biological erasure by gender ideology. The last part of this section is actually an amazing piece written by Mary Calais and Jennifer Billick. And it's called, In the Absence of the Sacred, Marketing of Medical Transgenderism and the Survival of the Natural Child. It's an amazing piece. It's probably the longest piece in the book, talking about what, what this industry is doing to our, our children that don't fit neatly into a box and the whole marketing with terrible consequences to our children. And it's just kind of, you know, the people are going along with this, not allowed to question and only given one option, which is medical interventions for their children. And so that's the first section. <laughs> I'll, I'll go a little bit briefer to the other sections, maybe. This next section is called Reframing Reality and the Language of Erasure. And this is, I love this section so much because it really is about the, the way that language has been used to literally reframe, which is really a way of using language to manipulate how people understand a topic. This is showing up in this debate a lot. I mean, just even in the some of the simple things like, you know, trans women are real women. Just that kind of a frame. Oh, and of talking about a psychological identity being the same as physicality. And at this point in time, gender identity has supplanted not only phys physicality, our, our actual biology, but also the way that sex class oppression is, is enact, has been enacted for you know thousands of years. And it's all of a sudden it doesn't really matter anymore. We can call ourselves anything we want and it's undermining a lot of the protective laws that have been hard won around sex-based oppression. A lot of it is about language. And there's, I have a piece in there called Eve Was Framed and the frame is in quotes, and it, uh, if you're, any of your listeners have seen the cover of the book, which is on the website, if anyone wants to look at it, it is an image of Eve in kind of a classical Renaissance depiction of Eve, and I talk about, I'm making a case basically that how we understand Western, the Western paradigm for the place of women has been propagated by that particular myth of Eve in the garden and Adam being given the power to name her and thus define her. So I'm talking about that in my chapter, but there are many other amazing pieces. The Erasure of Lesbians that by Alex Dobkin and Sally Catnell. Louisa Tisch wrote an amazing piece called Patriarchy and Drag. Sexual Imperialism in Africa and Delusional re Revisionism in the African-American Community. There's a piece on all about what's happening with women in, in sports. Males can now compete in female sport, in women's sports, as long as they're low, they lower their testosterone level us to a, a certain degree, but it's already 10 times higher uh, than women are allowed to. Or they would be considered doping. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. Those are that's really section two. 
And then section three uh, is called the violent female body, and the violent is in quote, and that's because I'm really writing about, and not just me, but I mean the pieces in there are about any time that we can now today talk about actual female, specifically being female experiences like menstruation or menopause or childbirth, things like that that we are, it's considered hate speech and violence against transgender people, male uh, male to trans people. There's poetry and uh, pieces in there. There's a piece called The Girls in the Grasses that Lear Keith wrote. I follow that with another section called A Room of Our Own. And this is really about what's happening with the elimination of female spaces, whether it's um, our festivals, or whether it's our the right for for females to gather for any reason, for any reason, just our right to gather is now illegal in uh, 19 states in this country. This is where, of course, it hits home for me personally um, in my work as a priestess that in a female and goddess-centered tradition that focuses on female rites of passage around not only the female body, but also uh, healing from the effects of the dominant uh, culture, healing from the oppression of patriarchy. This is what I've been doing for 40 years, and I'm called the bigot now for attending to the population that I have ministered to for decades. So lastly, is it's called Personal Stories from the Belly of the Beast. And these are personal stories that are written by uh, there's a few in here by women who had done transitioning when they were teenagers and then reclaimed their female selves and their stories are so moving and so powerful and so upsetting they what their their consciousness shifted and I think of these stories and these women in particular as some of the bravest that I personally have known through this project. It's an honor that they are, uh, for me, to have them be a part of it. And then other other amazing personal stories about a couple of women who were married to males that transitioned and what life was like for them. I basically want to show the underbelly of the, of the of the issue because all we see in the in popular media is the glitz is you know what's wrong of course this is cool and it's all like very light and no one look under the surface and no one talk about anything else I'm really wanting to show that there is a lot under here that must be brought to light so the last section is called resistance to delusion and it's just more stories that in a sense are just a, a cry for let's let's speak out let's make sure to share what we know about what's happening and let's engage in respectful discussion if, if those who oppose what this book represents willing even to have a conversation which has not been my experience overall so that's really in a, in a nutshell what the book is can you tell our listeners where they can find the, the website for that, Ruth? Sure. The website is www.femaleerasure.com. 
spelled out exactly female eraser. So there's those two E's in a row. <laughs> and, that will, and that will take you to the website and also to the crowdfunding campaign that has been running for the last almost three weeks now so that folks can pre-buy the book and help this project happen because it's a, as I said, it's grassroots. I'm doing this myself. I chose not to go to a publisher because I honestly, the time frame often for getting books out when you have a publisher, and that would be assuming I could even have gotten a publisher for this topic, which I wasn't confident <laughs> I could. Um, so I didn't, I wanted this book out, you know, I wanted this out yesterday. I wanted it out a year ago. So I, I thought by taking it on myself and uh, making it happen independently that it would have more of a chance of coming out as soon as possible. So I started my own imprint for the publishing of this book, and that's called Tidal Time, as in title as in the wave, you know, T-I-D-A-L, Tidal Time Publishing. And that's a term that I have known for many years from Mary Daly. And it means, in a nutshell, and I'm not going to say it the way she says it, because she says it amazingly brilliantly, it's the time, it's women's time, it's wild time, it's outside of patriarchy time, it's elemental time, it's what I think of as the real world. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so uh, that's title time publishing. And that's why um, I did it independently. But the crowdfunding is going really well. It's going fantastically well, which should really encourage those who are listening who have been depressed, because we've all been depressed and frustrated and flipped out about things happening so in, in the laws and in the attitudes of popular culture around this issue. And, of course, the suppression of the information that's in the book. The response has been wonderful. I set out to raise $25,000. And just so the, the listeners know, uh, this is not money for me. I, this is, uh, I am not deriving a dime from this personally. This is really be able to make the book, to hire the editor that I need to have, uh, because it's not my area. You know, I have to, I've had to hire people that I, to do certain things because I don't know how to do them. And also, we are creating a massive database. This is something that, that your listeners should also be excited about. It's not up yet, but it will be when the book is actually released, and it's called Female Erasure Resources, femaleeraseresources.com. And it's going to be a, a massive database for everything that we can find and that would be suggested to us to include, hint, hint, to your listeners. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that would have to do with not only the issue of gender ideology supplanting you know, female reality, but also um, having to do with pornography, prostitution, a lot of violence against women. The basically it'll, it'll be a massive resource site. So that is that's the other thing that is going to be paid out of the funds that are being raised. That sounds really amazing. And, and listening to you talk about the, the book itself, it sounds really 
beautiful. It's it's unfortunate the circumstances um, under which we have to have these discussions, but the discussions that are that are being had seem like they are deep and profound, and then also at the same time really down to earth. And I just think this is going to be an amazing read, and I really can't wait to to get this when it's out. What are the threads you have noted as the editor that run through all of the pieces? I think. Well, some of the pieces really about are about affirming female the female sex as worthy of attention, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and rather than being dismissed. And I'm not talking about necessarily understanding how females and males are different. I mean, I have to kind of put I think your listeners in a context for me that in, in the early 1970s when I came into what later became the goddess movement and the and specifically the feminist spirituality movement what was happening then of course everything we women were doing everything for the first time when i was uh, at, around this time late 60s early 1970s when you opened a newspaper you literally saw in the newspaper that there were jobs for women and there were jobs for men that's how it, it was <laughs> And so if you're, if you're in your, you know, maybe in your 30s or and certainly 20s and younger, this will seem crazy to you, but that is, that was what was happening. You, so women, for example, who are interested in being in the trades or in the, in the so-called non-traditional women's work, interested in, in doing, working in factories or certain other types of labor or construction or carpentry, Etc. Etc. Um, it was very, very hard to get into those kinds of jobs because they were for men. <laughs> it, was, it was only obvious, and only a man could, you know, uh, change the oil in your car and things like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> part of what was happening when women began to, and I'll speak for myself in in terms of discovering that there was deity in female form that preceded patriarchal God the Father religions, that was a paradigm shift on so many levels because we were not, you know, it's the kind of thing where when things have always been a certain way, you can't imagine they could have been any any other way at all. And so there was something about, for not only myself, but for the thousands of women that had their world rocked in beginning to understand that before there was God the Father, there was there was the goddess, and she was not a, re- a, go- a god in drag figure. She was not, or just a reversal of patriarchy, but it represented a whole other paradigm of how to live with one another and, the, and on the planet. This was where I came in. When you have a concept of that the body, the physical body of, of woman is sacred, that in and of itself was nothing short of a spiritual revolution for so many of us. That was really where it started. So this issue for me, it's very personal. It's an attack on everything I know to be true about why it's important for women to love who they are. I've worked with thousands and thousands of women over the years. This isn't just like, oh, okay, I've seen this occasionally. I've seen this by the thousands. For women to embrace themselves and, and to learn to love their, their bodies, their, to love being female, that healing involved with that, to embrace that and to be also 
the kind of, of female being that they want to be. And this is where, again, we distinguish between physicality and gender. They're not equivalent. They're not the same. We want to kick gender to the curb because that is what has oppressed us for thousands of years and continues to oppress us and have continued acting out and showing up in this issue. People think it's the same thing. And so I want, I do want revolution. Reading and educating ourselves about female erasure is so important. What are some things that WLRN listeners can do to make women's presence known and respected in contrast to the patriarchal erasure phenomenon the book speaks of? Well, getting uh, others to to respect, to be re- to have respectful conversation. I don't know how that's exactly supposed to happen, <laughs> given that those of us who have endeavored to do that have been censored and uh, you know attacked for for talking about it. But that doesn't mean that we need we stop talking about it. We need to preach to the choir, and we also need to be we also need to in, continue to endeavor to have conversations with people that are kind of born from curiosity, like you know, in conversations I've had, you know, with or endeavored to have with people when they talk about, you know, oh, you're transphobic because da da da. And I said, well, what is what is gender to you? What does that mean? To really to find out where are people coming from in their own definitions of these words. You know, so are you saying that a male can actually become a female? Now we know that's scientifically impossible. But I think that we could ask that question, those kinds of questions. And I also really am an advocate for respectful conversation. There is so much screaming happening out there. <laughs> and, um, and also uh, kind of a culture of mean. It's kind of like, you know, no matter what part of the political spectrum you're on, everyone's acting like Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, so, and I, um, and of course, I, I'm assuming that your your listeners know that these attacks that are are happening to people like me and, and those who are speaking out on this, it's coming from the left. This is not the right wing this time, you know, coming after, you know, lesbians and gay men. And this is a different, this is the left. Do, we're doing it to each other, doing it to ourselves. But there is, I think there's been more vitriol and more, terrible, terrible treatment uh, coming from the left to those who have differences of opinion. And I feel very strongly that I, for myself, I have to maintain, I want a different world. I want a world where I, everyone has a right to have their opinion and not be threatened with their loss of their livelihood or their life or, you know, I've been threatened in this way. Anyone who dares, you know, interview me for the most part, I don't think it'll happen here on your <laughs> radio. But, but you know, some of the places that have been interviews, they they have uh, had to be taken down because of the protesting of the topic, just the topic. Yeah, you're not so, allowed to ask questions. You're not allowed to to examine or analyze anything. And that is that should concern all of us, regardless of what opinion we have on this issue. I, you know, if someone disagrees with me, I would never think to attack them personally or to try to get them fired from their job. Who does that? 
but it's happening and it's bullying we need to name what it is it's bullying and it seems to be acceptable behavior as long as you feel like you are in the right and I just I really disagree with that it's not a way to build bridges and I believe in in endeavoring to build bridges and this that that is not working out and this is also that kind of behavior also when you try to shut down people who have differences of opinion because you don't like their opinion it could be you next being shut down I don't want that kind of a world I really don't I, I want a world where you can have respectful discussions with people and try to work out shit you know yeah definitely I mean I, I know what you mean especially when you're talking about the culture of mean because you know honestly I, I'm a little guilty too I'm, I'm not really always a very nice person but what you're saying is correct in that there's a little bit of like this hive mind going on and people are trying to shut down the conversation shut down the the possibility to ask these questions and i think that's that should really alarm a lot of us because if we considered ourselves progressive or leftists or what have you i mean i don't know about everybody else but i always thought that meant that we were going to use compassion and also reason together and i'm not seeing a lot of that happening right now yeah exactly. and i understand emotionally about people wanting to say whatever they want because they're feeling upset. I understand that. I get that completely. I just think it's important to find a place where you can do all of that venting. And then when you're in a conversation with someone who has a different opinion, think about what, you know, what do you really want to come out of this conversation? If you if you want something positive to come out of the conversation, are you going about it in a way that might promote that? Right. Right. We need to come together. Absolutely. I agree with that. We could all use a little bit more kindness, but specifically the left has some some things to examine within our own communities. I just want to mention, you know, that, uh, you know, some of the issues, what often is coming up is that, you know, if you want female only space, then that, you know, you're called a all kinds of names and transphobic and bigoted and all that and you're saying you don't want a safe world for trans people and that's not what's happening that's not the same thing I don't believe in either or I believe in both and and this is the issue for me about the approach uh, trans activists have taken and what they will you know uh, they succeeded in accomplishing to a great degree is that at the expense of women and children, women and girls, that we have to just move over and our issues don't exist anymore. And that to me is, to me, I do consider that patriarchal because I think I, I like, a, a, let's sit down and figure out how everyone can have protection. And let's also name the, the elephant in the living room, which is male violence. Male violence, if people, what do we need protection from? What do you know, the, the male, the trans people that are wanting to come into women's locker rooms or whatever because they don't want violence from being in the men's. Well, let's talk about violent men. Let's make it safe for these men who are gender nonconforming to be safe, but it still be the males they are, but to be expressing that any way they want in the male space. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's it's as if sexism is solved now, and they think that females have privilege. It's really bizarre. Ruth, how did your background in the pagan community inform the making of this book? So, as, as I said earlier, you know, my work has been in a, a women's spiritual tradition that focuses on women and girls, and 
specifically uh, goddess and female center rites of passage for our what we go through as female beings uh, based on our biology and but also again the ways that living in a patriarchy has impacted our lives and both things are addressed in the dianic tradition that i that i am part of and so we always had <laughs> in the larger pagan community i used to always i used to say that the dianics were the black sheep of the craft community because the most other witchcraft traditions were based on a male-female duality. We're also, you know, comprised of both females and males in their groups. And here we were having wanting to have our events that were specifically women only and also didn't have anything to do with the male experience. And that was just this horrific thing we were doing, you know, and <laughs> to be focusing exclusively on the needs of women and girls. It was like this horrible thing we were, you know, what, what could they be doing? They must be plotting to uh, do something terrible to men. And it's <laughs> like it, the paranoia was unbelievable. And I thought that, you know, again, we are not male-centric, but clearly the other groups were because they could not imagine we'd be doing anything except dishing on men. And not and instead we're attending to our own stuff, you know, it didn't have anything to do with them. So I, over the decades, I personally thought of myself as, a, in a way, an ambassador to the larger pagan community. Also, I'm a musician and my work, my, my music has been uh, music that has been a part of the pagan community, the larger pagan communities for decades. I would go to a lot of festivals, pagan festivals, and these would be the ones that would have, you know, again, multi-traditions involved and pretty much everybody there. And I would do workshops trying to talk about the tradition that I'm, I've been a part of. And I, I used to call it Dianic Panic. <laughs> Just because, you know, people would, again, this is the stereotypes and what people would think it was about and what it was actually about were very different. And I would always make those workshops open to both women and men. So, And I would always specifically say, come with your questions, nothing off the table. And sometimes men actually did show up, and that was really great. I appreciated that. And women also who didn't understand a space apart could be really important piece of their lives. You know, in the communities that I've been um, a part of or communities that I've held center in, which means groups that I've organized and been a part of as a leader in a way, and a teacher, certainly, I think of it as a teacher more than anything, our, our groups were always comprised of women from all different sexual orientations. It was not, you know, my tradition was never, never a lesbian religion, which it was assumed to be always was comprised of women from all sexual orientations, all really in this coming to be together to heal and to discover who we would be without patriarchal conditioning. And so there is the space for that. We've always created that space for that possibility. Who would I be without this cultural and religious inheritance where the female is below God, uh, less than males, all of the things that we uh, generationally have inherited through our families and culture, all these things that are so part of our skin that we can't tell the difference. 
So that healing space was why I had to take on this project. Because I know what I know how important it is. It's vital. And so when when someone's telling me I can't have it, I have no right to have it, I have no right to provide it, it's not gonna fly in my world. And this is something I can do. Is I can try to put information out to support people in just thinking deeper about these issues. This is really why I did the book. Good. I hope lots of people read this. Is there anything else that you'd like to say about the upcoming release of the book or in general to our WLRN listeners? And uh, also, where can we buy the book if we'd like a copy? If they want to support the funding of the project, they can go to uh, www.femaleerasure.com and they can click on this link that's going to come across the page and it'll take you to the fundraising site. And it's an Indiegogo campaign. And there's a wonderful new video up there with some excerpts from the book. And there, and you can pre-buy the book. And a little extra money is built in to the person who's buying the book in advance. And um, that helps get it over the top, you know, of the expenses. And then once the book is out, which will hopefully be, I'm kind of aiming towards September 21st, Fall Equinox, because... I'm a witch, and that's the full harvest. That's Fall <laughs> Equinox is, is the, the full, full harvest, and that would be really great if it were out by then. That's what I'm hoping, I'm moving towards that date. And I think we have a good chance of making that date, so I'm putting it out there. And then they'll, you know, your listeners can go to Amazon after that and order through Amazon either in a soft cover or Kindle. So, and I've made the pricing of the, of the book extremely accessible on purpose because I don't want the information out there. When you buy it on the website for the crowdfunding, there's a little bit more in there because there's so taxes and uh, shipping and extra things that I have to pay for. You can, you know, either way. But basically, spread the word about the project. Let folks know about it. And But, but what I want to say to your listeners is that just stay focused on and really allow yourself to feel into what your truth is about this issue. And know that you might be walking through, you know, a line of hecklers, but you hold form for that. That's a, a term that I want to just put out to the folks that are listening. When I say I am holding form for this, this means that I'm embodying my truth. And I'm embodying my truth in face of the opposition. And I have to, we can look back in, at history and we can look at, oh gee, here's the process to this thing happening or that happening and it all makes sense and it all is very nice, neat and tidy. But when you're in the present moment and you're trying to you know, bring consciousness to an issue that hasn't much of it and when you try to bring it forward, it's knocked down, you just gotta keep being with that. Just keep holding that and keep being willing to talk, folks, and to come from your values, your values, not their values, but yours. Keep talking about what's important to you. 
You have been just so lovely to talk to, and I just want to thank you for being part of the awakening here, and thank you for talking to me today. And I know I know our listeners are going to get so much out of it, so I really do appreciate it, Ruth. Well, I appreciate your asking me for this interview, and to all of your listeners who are doing wonderful work in the world, we're all, we're all part of this web, and may the web be strong, and... May we really strengthen the web with every action we do.